Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, we pretty much paid her to say that. Um, so uh, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We'll be look, starting at uh, verse 12. And we'll go through the first part of chapter 3. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. And we will go through chapter 3, verse 8. Y'all looking good this morning. Everybody all right? You look sharp. Good. Put your, put your church clothes on this morning. Romans chapter 2, verse 12 through Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Hear now the words of the Lord. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a God to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law... But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then chapter 3, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with the Jews, were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, through everyone, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? 
as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, in 1989, uh, their, their album hit the American uh, circuit. And uh, 1989, this R&B group uh, called Milli Vanilli, uh, they hit the circuit. They hit the American scene. Uh, this album was called Girl, You Know It's True. Guess how many albums they sold? On the American circuit, they sold six million albums. Six million albums. They even had number of hit singles after that. One of them called Baby, Don't Forget My Number. And Blame It On The Rain. Yeah, some of y'all blame it on the rain, finishing it. Uh, this group <laughs> was something else. Uh, and so they started in Europe and migrated to America and took the American music uh, network by storm. And here they are, Millie Vanilli, these guys, uh, Rob and Fab. Uh, they're a dancing and singing machines, right? So it seems. Uh, and it turns out, as the story goes, they came to America to do an uh, MTV uh, interview. And so they came to America, they, they did this MTV interview, and uh, they're doing this, they're in the middle of a concert, and the track starts skipping, right? Um, and so they're continuing to sing while the track is skipping. Here these guys are lip-syncing their way through an MTV performance in America. And so, you know, some questions begin to arise. And people start asking, what, what, what's, what's going on here? And then they interviewed the two guys. They interviewed Fab and Rob. And they realized, these guys can barely speak English. How in the world do they have this hit album and they can barely speak English? So as the story goes, it turns out that this music producer found uh, he had these amazing voices and he had this music that was already produced and developed, but he didn't want to market the faces of the people who were actually singing. So he found Rob and Fab, who were these model-like dancers, uh, to play the role. And so they would lip sync all around the country doing these concerts. And then they were found out. See, things aren't always as they seem. Things aren't always as they seem. Sometimes, get this, it's hard to discern the real from the fake. Sometimes it's hard to discern the real from the fake. Here these guys are, dancing machines. Oh, dancing and singing, so we thought. Six million records sold here in America on the music network. But they were fakes. Things aren't always as they seem. And this morning, when we come to our text, Paul distinguishes for us the real from the fake. Paul gives us this picture of the real from the fake. Here's where we're going this morning. I want us to see that authentic faith causes us to acknowledge our tendency to miss the mark. Secondly, authentic faith humbles us rather than puffing us up. And lastly, authentic faith 
is marked more by an inward change rather than an outward appearance. I want to speak from the subject authentic faith, but before we dive in, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the discerner of all men. And Father, thank you that you really can discern the real from the fake. So would you open our eyes this morning? Would you open our ears to hear from you this morning? I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this preaching moment. Uh, Father, that it may be effective for us, for your people. Father, move me aside. I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase right now in this moment. God, we need you. We need to hear from you, God. So would you speak? Would you have your way? We need you, Lord. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, um, we talked about some of the benefits of walking with Christ. And uh, we talked about the need to be more loving and compassionate. Uh, We just harped on this idea of not judging uh, one another, not judging those that are uh, inside the church, but also those that are outside uh, our circles. And uh, we also talked about God giving the opportunity to turn away from sin and the benefit of the unity that we have with people different than us because of our commonality in Jesus Christ, because God shows no partiality, we saw, but often we do. And this, this week, one of the first things we'll see is that authentic faith causes us to acknowledge our tendency to miss the mark. Authentic faith causes us to acknowledge our tendency to miss the mark. One of the reoccurring themes in Romans is that there's something wrong with us. And we saw it in chapter 1. We see it here in chapter 2. We're going to see it in a heavy way next week in chapter 3. Over and over again, Paul says, Newsflash! You are not as good as you think you are. Paul says there is something wrong with us over and over again. And you know, I think Paul does this in a repetitive sense. He does this so that uh, we don't forget. And so often we forget how every part of our life is saturated and touched by sin. Paul says, let me remind you that you're sinful that you're broken, that something is wrong with you. And it's called sin. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul says it this way, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Paul mentions sinning without the law. I think he's talking about the Gentiles there. And he also mentions sinning under the law. And I think he's talking about the the Jews, God's chosen people there. And the reality is, in both instances, two times in chapter 12, Paul says, all who have sinned, all who have sinned. And he's saying, nobody is exempt. Everybody has this problem called sin, and it has affected your life more than you know. We're sinful more than we can even begin to know or imagine. That's us. 
that label is upon us. And we can debate what does it mean um, that, that we sin under the law? What does it mean that we sin without the law? But what we do know is we all sin. Paul makes that extremely clear for us. He says it over and over again. And what I love about this is that in God's economy, it's level, it levels the playing field. Everybody is on the same playing field in God's economy. Now, in our economy, I, I don't know that that's the case. Maybe you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, or maybe whatever it may be, in our economy, we're not on a level playing field all the time. But in God's economy, what Paul is showing us is that we're on a level playing field. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how wealthy your family is. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. Paul says, all of you are stricken with sin. You're broken. You're messed up. You got issues. You've been touched by sin and it's affecting your entire life. Many times we view the people with authentic faith to be the people who have it all together, right? Uh, We view the people who have this real faith. Man, the real pillars of the faith are the ones who have it all together. They're the Billy Grahams, man. They have it all together, right? That's how we view our pillars of the faith. They they have it right. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. No, no, no. All of us on this level playing field because we have been marked with sin. And the interesting thing is that all of us have sin and sin, get this, sin breeds God's judgment. And that's one of the major themes here all throughout the first few chapters of Romans, all throughout the book of Romans, is the judgment of God. We don't like talking about the judgment of God. But what Paul shows us is that what sin breeds, something that we all have, sin breeds God's judgment. But what I love about Paul's study here and how he writes to the church, what he says is, not only does sin breed God's judgment, but the gospel and sin and God's judgment go hand in hand. There is no need for the judgment of God. There is no need for the gospel if you don't have them both at the same time. And so what Paul is showing us, yes, we are all touched by sin. Yes, that sin is encouraging God's righteous judgment. But not only that, because of that judgment, God sent the gospel of Jesus. And we all ought to say amen to that this morning. Because what we are due is death. And God said, yes, I have have righteous judgment, but there is the good news of the gospel through my son Jesus. He died the death that you and I should have died. He walked and lived as a man. He, He stayed on the cross in obedience to the Father. He was buried and he rose again conquering sin and death. Paul says, you have a gospel And you don't just have judgment. You have good news. And they go hand in hand. You are not just a judged or condemned people, but you have an answer to that judgment. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen. Um, one of the things I know about hospitals, and you and I know this, is they exist to fix, fix sick people. That's why hospitals exist. They exist to help sick people. And so when you go to the hospital, usually there's something wrong with you. And you can acknowledge that that pain or whatever it may be, something is wrong with you and you need some kind of assistance. You need help. You need healing. And that's what Paul says here. He says, the genuine believer, a person of authentic faith, they acknowledge their sin. They acknowledge how broken they really are. And they go to the one who is the healer. His name is Jesus Christ. They go to the divine hospital in the gospel. Secondly, authentic faith humbles us rather than puffs us up. Authentic faith humbles us rather than puffs us up. And let me just say, this is news for our kind of church. Um, Because we pride ourselves in knowing stuff, right? We pride ourselves in what we read. Um, All of the dead guys that we read. All of the Puritans that we know how to quote. We, many of us pride ourselves on that kind of stuff. And you know what it does? It puffs us up. We become prideful. And we forget the mission that God has put before us. I think Paul is going to speak to that here. Look at verses 17 through 21 with me. But if you call yourself a Jew, do you hear Paul's tone here? But if you call yourself a Jew... And rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then teach others. Do you not teach yourself? See, the problem with the Jews is that very thing that I was just speaking of. The Jews, because they are God's people, uh, because God has promised them some things, the Jews have puffed themselves up. They've taken God's promises. They've taken the things that they know. They've taken um, all of the things that they've read from the Mosaic law. They've taken those things and they've become prideful. And so you can, you can hear what he's saying here. The Jews are soaking up in the law. And they know plenty. And it breeds pride. See, the intent of the law is not to puff us up, but the intent of the law is to humble us. And the Jews have done the exact opposite. They've taken the law in and they've puffed themselves up to a place that they're now looking down upon the Gentiles. And they, they view themselves as being better than the Gentiles. Sound familiar? Our church going makes us better than others. Um, maybe even our baptism makes us better than others. And we do all of these things. We do the right steps. We do the right rules. And we keep all the right rules. And we do all of, this, all of these things... 
and we find ourselves in a prideful place, and now we're looking down upon people who don't know as much as we know. Paul says, how dare you? I think that's the tone he's using here with the Jews. See, it's an, it's an ultimate slap in the face for a believer to embrace the law and become prideful. See, the intent of the law is to show you a standard, you and I, a standard that we could never meet, and it brings us low, and it doesn't elevate us. The intent of the law is to set the bar so high that we begin to understand that it's a bar that we could never meet. Think about it. Old Testament says, man, you should not commit adultery. Okay, I get that. New Testament says the the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mountain, in, in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust... You're guilty of adultery. Old Testament says, uh, if, you, if you murder another person, you're guilty. New Testament says, if you even harbor anger in your heart, you are guilty of murder. Do you see how the law elevates things to a place that we could never meet on our own strength? And instead of making us prideful, the law humbles us. Because we see that it's a place that we can't jump up to. It's a place that we can't climb up to on our own. And the Jews have taken the law and they've soaked in all of this stuff and they've become prideful. That's not authentic faith. That's not authentic faith. Um, I was probably in the fifth grade when it went down. I remember it like it was yesterday. So I started singing a little bit. I loved to sing uh, when I was in elementary school. And uh, there was this annual uh, deal that happened, uh, this annual program in my elementary school. And, uh, you know, there was always a couple solos. And you'd have to try out for the solo, right? Um, so this particular year, I'm eyeballing the solo. I'm like, man, I got this solo. I got, man, I got this. And it was Amazing Grace, public school, singing Amazing Grace. And so here I am, fifth grader. I'm preparing to audition for this solo. And I go in there, you know, I'm a little nervous, but I just sing my heart out. Amazing Grace. No, nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> I went in there singing like my grandmama. <laughs> ha, 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 sweet. <laughs> um, and then Larry walked in. Man, I thought I had it nailed. But Larry walked in. His pitch was perfect. He harmonized with himself. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what, what, where did this kid come from? I had it down. And the reality is, there was somebody better than me. There's always somebody better. Larry humbled me. Because his level of singing was higher than mine. It was better than mine. And I was humbled to hear his audition. 
because I thought I was the best in the fifth grade. And I found out there was a higher standard because Larry could sing better than me. And I think what Paul is showing us is that there is a standard in the law that we cannot meet. There's a standard in the law that we will never get to. And the idea of the law is to humble us and to not make us prideful. Man, what if we would get that as the church? What if the church would get that? What if we would get being humble by what we're called to do? And I think Paul's point here is that Yes, you are called to do these good things, you're called to teach, and you're called to be light in darkness, but you are not to do that in a prideful manner. You're called to pull people, man, be a part of pulling people out of a rut. Be a blessing to folk, show compassion to folk, but you are not to be prideful while doing it. Paul says the law humbles you. You are humbled. Under the law. And lastly, authentic faith is marked more by an inward change rather than an outward appearance. Look at verse 28 through 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And you got to understand, as Paul is writing this to the the Roman church, you got to understand that this is heavy stuff for them. For Paul to tell them that their circumcision is not outwardly, but it's inwardly, this is some heavy stuff for them. Because for so long they've gotten by... By their outward circumcision, the sign of God being placed upon them. And because the sign was placed upon them, their attitude is, man, I'm good. I'm straight. I don't have a care in the world. And Paul's saying, this faith walk is not something that's exterior, but it happens on the inside. God looks at the heart. And so for so many of us, we know how to do the steps. We know how to do the dance. We know how to play church. We know how to come in here and lift our hands, but our hearts are destitute and broken and filed. But we know how to do the steps. We know how to go to Bible study. You can go to community group. But our hearts haven't changed. And this is what Paul is railing against. He's saying, your journey, authentic faith, is not something that's exterior, but it happens on the inside. It happens in the heart. Jews took pride in circumcision. And the way you're in the fold of God is a circumcision of the heart. And get this, it is a work of the Spirit. I don't want you to miss that. 
the way you are an authentic believer, the way you are a part of authentic faith, is that you have been transformed by the Spirit of the living God. It's not doing better. And I love how Paul says this. The reason why he does this is because all of the work is pushed away from us. He's clearly letting us know that this is not a work that you can do on your own. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot save yourself. Paul says, this is a work of the Spirit. I love it. It's a work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. You can only be saved by His work. Have you trusted in Him? Have you trusted in Him or are you still trusting in the things that you can do to make yourself look better? There is no baptism that will save you. There is no virginity that will save you. There is no getting clean from drugs and now you're saved. No. There is no amount of money that can cleanse you from your sin and your shame and your guilt. Listen to me. That is a work of the Spirit. Do you need a work of the Spirit this morning? Do you need God to transform you? Do you need a circumcision of the heart this morning? God says, I welcome you. I welcome you. I'm pursuing you. And my desire is to not just get your steps, but to transform your heart. And if I can transform your heart, I'll get your steps. If I can transform your heart, I will transform the way you spend your money. If I can transform your heart first, you will love your wife or you'll love your husband better. If I can transform your heart first, you'll be the best dad that you've always wanted to be. If I can get your heart, I'll get everything else. He says this is a heart thing and this is by the Spirit. And get this, he says, that God may be worshipped and praised. Do you hear that? Novel thought. That you were saved that you were transformed, that God would be praised and not you. Oh, my goodness. Because so often we quote our scriptures, we quote John Calvin, we quote Spurgeon, we quote the five points of Calvinism that we may be praised. Paul says, this is a work of the Spirit, not a work of yours. That God may be worshipped, that God may be praised, that God's name and fame may grow in Memphis, Tennessee, and even in your own household, on your block, in the place that you work, and not your name. But His, that's the purpose of your salvation. I love that Matthew 23 makes this extremely clear. Matthew 23, 27 Jesus is talking to some of the religious elites and he tells them, he says to them, you teachers of the law, woe to you. Woe to you, you Pharisees. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, 
you whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. Woe to you. And the picture that he gives is a picture of people who are nice and clean, uh, casket clean on the outside. And a filthy mess on the inside. May that not be true of you this morning. May you come into this place and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, there are some folk who are religious. And they look good on the outside. But on the inside, they're foul. It's a mess. It's nasty. And He is calling us out of that kind of lifestyle. Authentic faith is found by believing in who God is through Jesus Christ. What's the point of all of this? Where do I get all this stuff? What's the point? The point is, God is one who can be trusted. And that's what we see in the first part of chapter 3. He is one who can be trusted. Does our faithlessness nullify the work of God or the faithfulness of God? Paul says, by no means. And what does that mean? It means that God is faithful. That He can be trusted. It means He is deserving of your worship and your praise because He is faithful. He is more faithful than anything you know. He's more faithful than the folks who turn their backs on you. He's more faithful than anything that you can begin to know. The authentic believer has this confidence because God is faithful. And they don't look for opportunities to abuse grace. Paul touches on this. He says, man, may may you continue in sin. That grace may abound, may it never be. And that's the same idea here in the first portion of chapter 3. The authentic believer has confidence in God's faithfulness. And because of that confidence, because of their heart being changed, they now walk in grace, they now value grace and mercy, and they live by it. They're changed by it. They're transformed by it every single day of their lives. Do you know him? Or are you like that whitewashed tomb filled with dead men's bones? Jesus says, if you're heavy laden, if you're heavy burdened, come to me. I am the God of rest. He has rest for your weary soul. You may say, man, I know Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. He is my Lord Praise the Lord. Are you going to the wells of the gospel every day? Are you reminding yourself of His goodness and His mercy each and every day of your life? And are you taking that to the four corners of this city and giving away, giving it away, and giving it away? That's our challenge. That's our challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we can have authentic faith Thank you, Father, that 
that authentic faith is marked by our inside and not our outside. Father, thank you that we, though we are all sinful, Lord, um, you have still called us to yourself through the gospel of Jesus. And Father, thank you, Lord, that our authentic faith can be identified by how the law humbles us and not puffs us up. May we be a people that humbles themselves before you and that loves patiently in this city, that loves with compassion in this city, that your fame may grow, that you may be praised in Memphis, Tennessee. And Lord, we also pray that you would bless these offerings and tithes that we're about to receive. Lord, not for downtown church, but for you. Lord, that your mission and vision may continue in downtown Memphis. And would you use us to be a part of that, even through our tithes and offerings. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.